shall we play a game? What is with me space? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. You didn't say the magic word. Ah, ah, ah. The files are in the computer? We're only using a simple polyphonetically grouped 20 square digit key transpose from booster phonic form with multiple nulls. After very careful consideration, sir, I've come to the conclusion that your new defense system sucks. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. So it's a code breaker. No, it's the code breaker. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the CyberTap. Mike, how the heck are you? Well, the big thaw is on. I can start seeing my driveway again. Mm. I'm feeling a little bit better about myself and my environment. (laughs) This makes you feel better about yourself, at least about your environment, I guess. Yes. I don't have to uh, worry that I'm going to fall and break my tailbone every day. Well, there is that. Any ice coming off your roof in, uh, at speeds which would uh, completely... It did, yeah. My, my sump pump has been going a little nuts today. Oh, yeah. You're getting a little uh, extra groundwater? Yep. Yeah, that, that happens. The thaw is definitely on. I felt like this weekend at 35 degrees Fahrenheit, it felt like uh, uh, an early spring. I was outside for most of the weekend, even though it was still freezing cold. Felt good. What else is going on? We got a couple wins in basketball. And well, yeah. bottom feeder. I don't. What was the one before that? A couple bottom feeders. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Wins a win. Feels pretty good. Feels pretty good to us. You brought up in this episode our wins over Ohio State. Ohio State in football because in this episode we have a fellow Midwesterner, Greg Edwards. The we CEO. do. Although that yeah. that victory seems a very long time ago. It certainly does. It certainly does. So in this episode, we're talking to Greg Edwards, the CEO of Crypto Stopper, uh, interesting product that uh, is sets forth to stop crypto, uh, crypto-based ransomware attacks in their tracks. And so this was a, a pretty fun conversation. Greg's a nice guy. We got to know him a little bit. And hope you enjoy the episode of the Cyber Tap with Greg Edwards. Greg, thanks for joining the show today. It's good to have a fellow Midwesterner uh, in the cybersecurity domain join us today. And uh, it's good it's good to meet you and get to know you a little bit here. Absolutely. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me. So we you know, have our standard opening question that we ask all of our guests, and it's a good uh, you know, way to get to know each other and for our listeners to get to know you. So it's kind of how did you get started in cyber and, and your kind of career path to get where you are today? Absolutely. So mine is a little, little different, or maybe not that different. But I'm, a, I'm a college dropout and had to get a job. <laughs> yep, yep. And really, the only skills that I, <laughs> the only skills that I had were uh, in technology back in the, back in the '90s. So got a job uh, with a software company, and then quickly started my own managed services business in 1998, which really had. No idea what I was doing, but learned on the fly as a 24-year-old. So um, I grew that business and bought a few competitors in the the town that I'm in and actually was doing off-site backup for all of our clients in to our office and then split that off as its own company mm-hmm. uh, and started an offsite backup and disaster recovery cloud-based company before the cloud was the cloud. Yeah. Cause the cloud is just the internet, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and, and grew that, that offsite backup and disaster recovery company nationally and started seeing, and then my intro to, um, cyber really, because prior to, I would say prior to 2012, cybersecurity was antivirus and a firewall. 
I mean, that, that really was all we worried about. And then some compliance issues, but I've always seen compliance and security as two very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to 2012, really cybersecurity was antivirus and firewall for most businesses. Uh, in 2012 is when Bitcoin actually was not introduced, but became more widely available and uh, attackers started using it for profit. And so that's really when I see the shift happening from what we know today as cybersecurity. And so that that was really my intro mm-hmm. uh, was within Access Backup and seeing the rise of ransomware happening. So between 2012 and 2015, 20% of our offsite backup clients were hit with ransomware. And mm-hmm. that was really before anyone even really knew what ransomware was. And actually the first um, first iteration of ransomware that we dealt with, they wanted a $60 ransom or <laughs> whatever the equivalent was in Bitcoin at the time, but it was 60 US dollars, <laughs> which seems you know crazy at this point because sure. I haven't seen one less than 60,000 in, in a couple of years. So, um, so that was my introduction and yeah. I was going to say, ahead. I have some questions. So, uh, Early on, so obviously you were getting um, or becoming aware of ransomware because you were providing the service of, of backup or an offsite backup to your clients, which means they would come to you with the hopes of recovery or say, hey, is there any chance I've got this message saying that I got to pay something, but I just want to see if my data is available, which is great because it's one of the best ways to, you know, counteract ransomware is to have good, solid disaster recovery and good solid backup. But early on, what do you remember what variant of uh, kind of cryptoware or ransomware that was? Uh, yeah, so yeah, so CryptoLocker was yeah. the most common variant that mm-hmm. we were seeing and um, actually named the current company CryptoStopper after that <laughs> right. that variant. And that's what most of <laughs> our partners at the time were just ransomware they were calling crypto locker, mm-hmm. whether, you know, whatever the other variants were coming out. I mean, now, now it's transitioned that it is definitely ransomware and there's so many variants out there that crypto locker has kind of been lost, but yeah, that, that's the first variant that I remember the name of is crypto locker. And this has nothing to do with crypto. I, I'm just, I'm going way back to your, your, the very early security measures of antivirus and firewall. First time I ever heard the term firewall, I thought that was a physical wall that prevented the network stuff from being burned. <laughs> well, that's what in my airplane we have a firewall, and that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yep, same in same in the car, right? So the firewall the, between the, uh, the the cab of the car and and the engine compartment. Yep, <laughs> firewall forward. So yeah, crypto locker. Now I I was doing some studying on ransomware because we have a ransomware course that we're going to offer uh, in the very near future, and I, I I got interested in the history of it. And so Greg, I don't know if you've seen this, but the I think that most people believe the very first uh, kind of ransom based uh, trojan that came out, or you know, kind of cryptoware was uh, in 1989, actually. I don't know if you've, if you've heard of this, but it was called the AIDS Trojan, yep. and it was delivered by a, uh, a guy by the name of Joseph Pop. That was a, I think he was a biologist, and he was doing AIDS research, but he sent p- 
people and Mike, I'm not, I'm, I'm guessing you might not have heard of this, but he sent people floppy disks with a small program that would execute and, and encrypt some files uh, and then try to extort. I think it was maybe a hundred bucks or something like that, or maybe 200 bucks at the most. Um, but he used a mailing list and physically mailed these floppy disks to other AIDS researchers. And uh, <laughs> what a, what a nefarious and kind of Three and disgusting a half or five and a quarter. <laughs> I, you know, at 89, I'm guessing three and a half. <laughs> I, I'm guessing three and a half inch floppy. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's <laughs> yeah, a five and a quarter. That, actually, I, I always thought that's what those AOL CD mailers were. <laughs> Tim to malware or something. I thought those. Yeah, were actually, I was familiar with that that event in 1989. Um, and I, and I, I mean, definitely um, from a from a very um, exact standpoint, that would be the first ransomware variant out there Mm -hmm. but once i mean (laughs) obviously for for lots of reasons that wasn't a very scalable business model for uh for that guy (laughs) no not a scalable business model and i i believe it was a technical failure so you were completely able to recover if you just had a a bit of sense because i think the keys were actually stored locally to decrypt or all the files were copied before (laughs) or something like that i don't remember the exact kind of nuance of it but it uh you were able to recover if you knew what you were doing without any any issues yeah well when you think about something like that starting as far back as 1989 um obviously the the desire to do it was there but then you add Bitcoin and cryptocurrency Mm -hmm. to the mix where these attackers can get paid completely anonymously. And that's the piece that was missing to make it. And I call it a business because that's what these attackers are. They're in business to extort money. Um, And that's that's the key that allowed ransomware and really allowed um, cyber crime as we see it today, at least within the business community, to be what it is. The, the business model that you've had so far in the conversation is more of a disaster recovery type of a, a model. When when did you transition into more of a prevention? Yeah, so so I saw that rise of ransomware happening and knew that there really was a need in the in the marketplace for better cybersecurity. So in 2016, I sold Access Backup to um, a company called J2 Global. That's a big technology conglomerate, publicly traded technology conglomerate, uh, and started what at that point was Watchpoint Data, which was a full service um, cybersecurity MSSP service. Um, grew, grew that well enough, but as part of that, developed this tool that is now CryptoStopper, and that being a full um, software as a service model um, just was a much better business model for me than the the cybersecurity services. And so transition from a full, full-fledged um, cybersecurity MSSP to now software as a service and just offering CryptoStopper. So before we go further into kind of what CryptoStopper is, because I definitely want to talk about it, I want to kind of keep walking through the evolution of ransomware in general together, pick your brain a little bit. And I think it'll help our, some of our listeners that maybe don't know the history. So we, we kind of got up to crypto locker, right? Which was one of the, the first major variants and that particular strain of ransomware, uh, they were pretty good about issuing the keys if you did pay them. 
uh, from from historically, from what I understand. And then you know that was in what 2013, I think. Is that right? Crypto Locker 2013? twenty. Yeah, twenty twelve. Uh, twenty twelve. Maybe twenty thirteen. And then you know by twenty seventeen, yep. I think the next kind of major breakout was Wanna Cry, right? And we could talk all about the genesis of Wanna Cry. But you had Wanna Cry and you had uh, like Not Petya, you know, both of these being, uh, you know, nation state level sponsored attacks, you know, Wanna Cry being contributed to the North Koreans, Not Petya being contributed to Russians. And those, both of those had a, um, well, I know Wanna Cry specifically had no mechanism for recovery, if I recall. There really wasn't a key distribution. So if you paid, you couldn't get a key or anything. Right. And I, I really don't consider the two of those your traditional ransomware because there really wasn't that business model. I mean, they, right. those really, in my opinion, were, were deployed <laughs> for disruption. Um, potentially, WannaCry, the North Koreans have been known to profit from, from cybercrime. Um, so there, there certainly could have been a profit motive there but i see both of those events which were hugely disruptive as much more specifically for that for disruption as opposed to for profit models so when businesses look at what's their risk associated with ransomware it's much more the cyber criminals and not necessarily the nation states that they should be working to protect themselves from if that, yeah, does that yep. that makes sense to you guys? Yeah, I, that certainly makes sense to me, and I've seen that same kind of thing. I mean, they they definitely appeared ransomware, and they were cryptoware because they used you know cryptography to encrypt data. But in as you pointed out, for you know more destructive purposes. I mean, not Petya took you know has a ten billion dollar kind of global economic impact, and it had major impact on huge companies like the shipping company Maersk, however you say that. They always read their shipping containers when they go by on the trains now in the Midwest. But <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. FedEx and, uh, you know, major yep, companies yep. like that were just complete, almost completely destroyed, you know, in in their infrastructure anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And both of those were worm variants, which is mm-hmm. very uncommon for cyber criminals to deploy and actually much more difficult and not not something that your average uh, crime cyber crime organization would roll out. Yeah, yeah, and they just they just leveraged the NSA leaked tools, right? So for the exploits like Eternal yep. Blue and those things to, you know, the SMB vulnerabilities in Windows from set you know, from 2017 to laterally move across the network and things like that. But yeah, sophisticated and disruptive, but not necessarily financial financially incentivized, right? It was the point. Yeah, yeah, it really, that 2017 time frame really was a pivot point with ransomware and where I think that the the real cyber criminal organizations out there realized at that point that there was huge profit to be made from leveraging some of those same tools that, that we saw with those nation states actions. And so I really see that as a pivotal pivotal point um, in ransomware history where cyber criminal organizations picked it up from that point purely for profit motive. Yeah. And there's kind of an honor 
an honor code among thieves almost in a way, but it's you, I think you probably classified even better by saying it's a business model, right? So if you encrypt something and say, if you pay, uh, I'll give you the keys and you get your data back. Well, if you don't, if you don't actually give the keys, then people will stop paying because there's no incentive. Once the, once the news gets out that this particular group is not, you know, is not giving you the keys and that payment yields no results, why pay anything? So now, you know, there was a, there was a big season after 2017 right. where people paid and people got keys and it was sometimes the cheaper business decision, decision to pay and get those keys back for the unencrypt for the unencryption. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and those, so between 2012 and 2017, and this is not database, but just anecdotally based in my experience, um, I would say probably 50% of the people that paid in that time frame, 2012 to 2017, did not get keys. Mm -hmm. uh, and then 2017 to today, it is much more, I would say you're much more likely that you're going to get a key and probably in the 90 to 95% range that um, if you pay, you're going to get a key. And most of the, most of the ransomware now, um, at least the larger organizations actually have tech support behind it. So that's, you know, that's I, I really do consider these businesses. I mean, they're criminal businesses, yeah. um, but they'll, they'll actually prove to you, you know, they'll, they'll give you a key that'll unlock a couple of files to make sure, okay, if I do pay the $460,000 ransom, I actually am going to be able to get my files back. Will that be cash or charge? Paper <laughs> uh, strictly <laughs> cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so you've seen uh, lately, I, you know, there's more evolving trends, right? So this is kind of we're we're doing a nice little history <laughs> lesson to walk through time about ransomware and 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 cryptography based extortion. But then you, I see a you know more evolving trends. Maybe over the and you probably help with the dates more, Greg, on this. But maybe over the last eighteen months, two years where you have, uh, you know, data leakage. So people are actually copying, you know, instead of just encrypting, they're making copies off and exfiltrating data in order to not just hold the encrypted files at ransom, but then copies of the files for potential breach or release ransom. And then also now people are attacking backups, encrypting backups, wiping backups, doing some things really nefarious to try to kind of counter some of the normal techniques for recovery. And so, you know, just tell us what you've seen kind of in your experience with those latest trends. Yep, yep, absolutely. So 2016, 2017 is where we started seeing the, the backup destruction happening. Um, and that's carried through to today uh, and is very common. And the the exfiltration component of ransomware, that's something that we've actually had in our roadmap to build out for four years um, and something that I saw yeah, as a, why wouldn't you do that if you were a hacker? Why wouldn't you also exfiltrate the data and hold that for ransom. And so that really has has been, um, I don't know exact dates either on that, but the last um, 18 months to two years, you're right in that, that time frame where not only are they encrypting the data locally, um, working to destroy the backups, and then also exfiltrating the data all at the same time to cause, you know, cause the most damage and to have the, the highest percentage of 
potential payout for themselves. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking, um, Greg, as we kind of talk about these new evolving trends and maximizing the effectiveness of the payment. And for our listeners, they'll know uh, if there, if it sounds a little goofy, I, you know, I'm at home recording today, Greg, and I live out in the middle of nowhere and they're used to my crappy internet. Although I got to tell you, Elon's coming through. <laughs> I, I'm getting Starlink on Friday, Mike. It's uh, my, my package for Starlink has shipped. And so by the time Friday, I record huh? our next one, uh, I'm, ho- I'm hoping I can, I can test out those low Earth orbit satellites. So you figure out where you're going to be positioning your, your equipment? No, not yet. <laughs> I, I'll, uh, I'd definitely follow up. I'm interested to hear how, how well that will work. I mean, that's, that to me is going to be such a massive, I don't know what you would call it, but equalizer, I guess, for much of the world. Yeah, I think it ha- it certainly has the potential. If he can get as many birds in the air as he wants to, um, you know, old Elon. He and he and I are on first name basis. If you didn't know, he doesn't know either. Um, but you know, I, I just referred to him as Elon. Um, but I'm pr- I'm pretty excited because you so know we're Star Launch. I, yeah. Go ahead. God, I I was actually sitting out uh, having a bonfire here. It was during the pandemic, so. Uh, last couple of months before it got really cold here in the Midwest, uh, but saw one of those launches and just one after another going in and I looked it up. I mean, it, it, I don't remember, I think it was somewhere in Nevada that they were launching them from, um, but really, really cool to see. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that you can actually, depending on their location and the, and the clarity of the sky, you can track the huge, like, uh, constellations as they cross the sky. And I think it was somewhere in Europe recently. Uh, they had the most like clear view, clear, bright view. And it just looks like a line, a perfect line of stars. It just goes right across the night sky, but they're, you know, they're so low earth that, and they're so close to the earth. It just looks like a, like something out of a movie. Like it, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of calls like, Hey, what is going across the sky right now? It looks like a, you know, an entire train of stars is what it kind of looked like. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited because get off this uh, ridiculously slow cellular-based internet. So. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that was a bit of a digression, which our fans are used to uh, because of my my lousy internet. But so, kind of back to the topic at hand. So we've seen this uh, this kind of evolution in uh, in ransomware, and so I think. You know, I'd love to hear a little bit about how Crypto Stopper, your company, your product is starting to address, you know, ransomware in general. Yeah, so essentially what we do is deploy bait files throughout a network. So our our product is designed for businesses exclusively. We don't have a consumer based product, but um, we deploy bait files throughout a network and whether that be a traditional Um, file server and file share based or cloud based, we deploy these bait files throughout and then we monitor both native files and those bait files for the the ransomware activity. Uh, And then we take automated action based on what's happening. And if it's at a desktop level, we actually suspend the process that's running uh, and then ultimately kill that kill that process and log everything that it's done and um, 
log the the executable that was running it. If it's at the cloud or server level, we isolate the machine that mm -hmm. is running the nefarious activity and then also send alert and log information based on all of that. So so we, we call it a post-execution termination algorithm. It's just a fancy way for saying that it it watches those bait files and what's going on in the network and then takes action. So how many how many bait files are we talking? Like what the general number? Uh, de depending on the deployment, um, anywhere from uh, our our minimum is twenty five per folder, and then default is three levels deep, so that we're covering uh, we're covering for dependent on how that ransomware runs because they don't all go A to Z. So the most common way for ransomware to run is just starting at the top and going down, but they will sometimes be random or start from the bottom up or the middle and go both directions. Um, so we want to make sure that we have coverage throughout. Uh, and then those files are randomly generated, random size and random extensions. Well, not random extensions, but known extensions, but mm -hmm randomly mm -hmm. set throughout the network. So every deployment is different so that the attackers can't fingerprint us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what level of permissions do you have to grant the crypto stopper software in order to uh, put these bait files out there? Yeah. So it does have administrative level mm -hmm. access. Okay. And so you're, I assume that the, the watch files are the known file types that crypto where ransomware would go after so the, your your document based files and things of that nature and they just kind of hide in plain sight it sounds like exactly yep and they are um, exactly as you said i mean they're look like word document excel files movie picture mm -hmm. and of all of the general files that any user would have on their network and so how effective is it, it in these watch files in catching and stopping um you know, an encryption, uh, an encryption task before other files are encrypted that, you know, are, are valuable. Yep. So it actually, so two, two answers to that question. So it doesn't, there is some collateral damage Sure. is the first answer, but secondarily that collateral damage is very low. So our average time to detection is less than a second. And so again, this is, this is ransomware that's now actually running it's, right. it's gotten past all the other defenses that were in place and so now it's actively running and it's going to destroy the entire system mm -hmm. and we stop it in less than a second as opposed to letting it run so we feel like that minimal amount of collateral damage and typically between 5 and 15 files is what we see that are are encrypted in that less than a second Mm -hmm. to to kill it um so you know you can you can imagine how quickly it would run through that entire network if it wasn't there sure uh, and add, add to that that 75 percent of the successful ransomware attacks that happened to businesses those businesses had up-to-date antivirus mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that what that means is that those 70, 77% of companies thought they were protected. They right. had antivirus. They think, okay, that's going to protect me. And it's not. So the, the crypto stopper tool that you, that you guys um, 
have where does it kind of fall in the overall stack of protection against ransomware because it seems like to me it, it's certainly one piece and it sounds like it could be a very critical piece depending on your business need but where does it fall in kind of with everything else yeah so i'm i'm a huge proponent of the layered security stack and defense in depth uh and i see actually in my opinion patch management is the number one thing that companies should be doing i mean you've got to have antivirus and you got to have a firewall um that's you know those are givens but then as you're looking at your security stack having an automated patch management mm. system um user training i i see crypto stopper as another arrow that that companies need to have in their cybersecurity stack so i i'm not saying or think that Crypto Stopper is a silver bullet to yeah. fix cybersecurity. It's the it's the silver bullet to stop ransomware that gets past everything else on the network and is one component of the cybersecurity stack. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, it, it it's it's incredible that the I still I still believe that the number one vector for the initial uh, infection that leads to ransomware is phishing, right? I know with drive-by downloads and some of these other mechanisms, it, it is. That yep. it's phishing and it's dummies like me clicking on an email that they shouldn't have clicked on. And so, uh, you know, stopping that yeah. is a very different problem than actually stopping the ransomware file, but it's, but both are critical, right? Cause people, your users are still going to click stuff. If our, if we have listeners out there that are managing teams or managing people or have large, your users are going to click stuff they're not supposed to. Even with good training, they still click things they're not supposed to. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that, um, I mean, so from an email standpoint, um, phishing is still the number one and over 50% of ransomware attacks come through email still today. And it, and no matter, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely saying people need to do user training. Mm -hmm. They need to do fish testing of their employees to train them, but there's no level of training that's ever going to a hundred percent stop a user from clicking on an email. And that, that one, one that gets through is potential, potentially completely devastating for business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in fact, it, puts many businesses in, in a bankruptcy or out of business. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's not that initial vector. It's the fact that you, it allowed your critical data in, in, in mass to be encrypted and unaccessible and unrecoverable in some cases. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, backup has to be a part of that and, yeah. and even coming from um, an offsite backup and disaster recovery background that the reason that I transitioned out is because even with, I mean, we had a two hour recovery window um, with the backup business that I had, but it still was hugely disruptive to the company because you would have yes. to take and transition in a disaster. These people that are used to working on a, a local area network to now they're working from the cloud mm -hmm. before anybody even knew what the cloud was. So that, you know, I mean, that in itself was hugely disrupting to have to okay we're doing that right now well it's disrupting if someone accidentally deletes a volume or a, a file folder from you know <laughs> for, you know in, in a kind of your your normal business operations and you have to go to your sysadmin or whoever does your dr and say hey i need to do a recovery i i'm not going to be able to work for the next couple hours well 
man, if you've got if you've got an antiquated backup system or even some of the new ones, it's going to take a while to go into the backups and your uh, in, into the the various levels of backups from your fulls and your incrementals and all of those things and and make sure you recover everything, even in small amounts. It's disruptive. There's no doubt about that, and uh, it's even more so, probably exponentially more, when you have a long hard recovery from a you know, large data set of critical data that's encrypted and you have no access to it. So what do you think separates your product from competitive products in the market? So, I mean, the big thing is the the algorithm that we have and the automated action that we take. So um, depending on, you know, I mean, the, the competitors that we see out there are traditional antivirus companies that are adding um, heuristic-based modeling to be able to stop ransomware. And really without without those bait files and without that file integrity monitoring, which is essentially what we're doing, but then taking automated action on top of it. That's the big separator and and why companies are utilizing us in addition to those other more traditional antivirus tools. And and I'm not again not saying you don't need those tools. You need those tools and CryptoStopper. Yeah, this is, seems it's a value add product. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one you know, one thing that we we get in the sales sales process is, well, what can we eliminate with this, and you know, what's our ROI on it? Well, you can't eliminate anything. <laughs> it, <laughs> right. it is more expense, and the ROI is when you get hit with ransomware, it's not going to be devastating. Exa- yeah, exactly. Which can be a, can be a tough sell. And speaking of tough sells, who, who's your target audience? Who's your target market for these these types of products? Where's your sweet spot? Yeah, so actually, managed service providers. We we exclusively sell through the um, managed services channel. Okay, and so those the end client uh, really are SMBs. So companies that are typically between. Um, 10 and a couple hundred employees, but serviced by a managed service provider that is acting as their IT department. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. But, but the end user at the end of the day, if you're an SMB and you're interested in this, you got to go to, you you would say, go to your MSP and say, Hey, why aren't, why aren't you using something as cool as crypto stopper to try to stop ransomware? I'm nervous about this. I keep seeing it in the news. Exactly. And they can, they can reach out uh, to us directly and we can direct them to a partner um, or yeah. they, or they can direct us to their partner and we can, <laughs> we can get them on board. And that happens quite often. Sure. Sure. So I want to go way back for a second to when, and this is just, it's not so much of a, a security related or a cyber ransomware related conversation, but when you had access backup and you were going through the acquisition of that, then when you were, you were selling it, what, what's that like? I've never done it. I'm just kind of curious, just from a general kind of business perspective. Yeah, it was, it was my first exit also. Um, and they actually targeted us. I really wasn't in the market to sell. I mean, it, it was a good business that um, ran, I mean, once we had the established client base, software as a service, backup as a service um, was a really good business model. Um, but they they came to us and uh, J2 Global is a $3 billion publicly traded company. So massive company, um, really had a 
a sales organization to reach out to potential acquisitions for them. And so they reached out to us. And I would say this is different than a lot of exits where as a company, I mean, we weren't actively promoting that we were for sale and weren't, Mm -hmm. weren't really trying to sell. So they came to us. Um, we, we had about a, a six X multiple on EBITDA, uh, which I thought, you know, for Midwestern Iowa boy was, um, was pretty incredible at the time and more than I expected. Um, but again, it was my first, my first exit and the, the transition, um, was interesting. I mean, working with a $3 billion company, um, (laughs) was an interesting proposition for, you know, I mean, we were, um, I think at the largest 14 employees, so not a big company, but being bought by a $3 billion company was, uh, was, was unique in my opinion. Um, but it it was, yeah, it was overall good transition took about six months Mm -hmm. to make the, the full transition. And they were, they were very good about making sure that, you know, we got, got paid initially, but then, um, got paid to help with the transition and migrate all the clients and mm-hmm. move forward. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I wouldn't say a seamless, uh, seamless transition, but it, it all worked out well. Do you have any, uh, so now back, that was just a curiosity thing. So now I'm going back to ransomware. You got any horror stories of, uh, like devastating attacks <laughs> on people kind of close to you or, you know, maybe people would wish they had crypto stopper and they came to you afterwards. I'm like, you know, what, what's the war stories you have on ransomware? Yeah. How, how many, how many do you want? I just just the, the, the first the one that answer, pops in your mind, start there. <laughs> the, yeah. So the first one that pops into my mind, uh, this was back with access backup and, and having the offsite backup company. And, um, uh, we got a call through our emergency line for, for clients that, was someone, and I mean, this guy is freaking out that he had been hit by ransomware and needed to recover. And ultimately the support tech that took the call escalated it up to me. And this business owner had been hit by ransomware, was not an access backup client. We ultimately, because the, the <laughs> support tech that took it didn't even, didn't even check that. He just thought that it was a client, um, but didn't even look at the database, uh, but escalated it to me. And this was a, I'm guessing a mid fifties business owner, a couple hundred employees and a a small manufacturing company. Um, And this guy was literally crying (laughs) on the phone. He thought that he, he was going to be put out of business because of this attack and was calling to see if we could help. And we had at the time, um, this is pre crypto stopper, but we were, we were doing lots of blogging about ransomware and about how to make sure you had a good backup and how to, and that's how he ended up finding us. But I mean, that's, that's the one that sticks out the most was having that business owner literally in tears and, begging for help, mm-hmm. which I really couldn't help him. I mean, I gave him some direction and, you know, tried to, tried to ease his uh, concern as much as I could, but not a lot that I could do. Um, so that's, that's the first that pops into mind. Um, and that, that was, would have been around 2015, 2016 timeframe. 
Um, but then to give you a more recent one, uh, a managed service provider, this is this past summer, um, a managed service provider called us that, again, was not a client, um, but that had had 80 of their clients ransomed at the exact same time. And it was same same kind of scenario where I couldn't really help, but mm-hmm. gave them some direction in what they needed to do. And ultimately what had happened is that their, the MSP's management tool had been compromised. And then simultaneously, these attackers attacked all 80 of their clients yep. at the same time through their tools. Yeah. So it's solar winds, it's supply chain, kind of what we're seeing in the world today it, on a smaller scale. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. You ever had a client who accidentally maybe had somebody like shift delete the entire corporate file share, but blame it on ransomware because they didn't want to fess up? <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't had that. I, I did actually back when I was um, working for a software, my very first job um, was working in a software company and had a colleague that did that to one of our clients. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I had to get involved to help recover the the data at that point. But but no, I haven't had anybody uh shift delete and uh blame it blame it on on ransomware. What what about a And uh, and the difference being with rans with ransomware, the files are all still there. That's true. They're 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 just inaccessible. <laughs> So I asked you war stories, but what about a success story for a, a crypto stopper? Somebody that's so happy with you, their firstborn is named crypto stopper. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about the firstborn name, nameage, but um, very happy with us was a, a law firm um, through one of our managed service providers that um, actually their accounting user clicked on, you know, exactly as we've talked about the email Notif- you know, email file that had an attachment. Um, they clicked on it. It started executing the ransomware, and almost immediately, CryptoStopper kicked in and and killed it and stopped it. And the, I'd say the reason that people don't um, name their firstborn after us mm-hmm. is because it becomes such a non-event uh, that okay. you know we we have to prop these stories up because <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, it's like the the um, primary partner in that law firm didn't even know it happened, and mm-hmm. we we wrote a you know wrote a case study on that one because it was a you know perfect example of ransomware comes through email, the uh, accountant clicks on it who should be someone that knows better, uh, it starts running and Crypto Stopper killed it and really is a non-event. Did you have to change the names in that white paper to preserve the identity of that accountant? <laughs> uh, we did have to change the names of the <laughs> of the affected parties. And there, you know what? I was just thinking, Mike, uh, Greg. We we love Mike and I are movie guys, and we usually wrap our episodes trying to talk about movies or favorite. Ran- you know, is there a ransom? Rant. We were we were joking ahead of this that you know ransom with Mel Gibson. Uh, but that's a traditional kidnapping ransom. Is there a, I can't think of one, Mike, or maybe Greg, you know, too. Is there a, I don't think there's a ransomware movie yet. I feel like you could make a good movie if with the right, well, with the yeah, right hackers, Hollywood storytelling. Hackers had that a bit, right? 
yeah, I think maybe the three of us should get together and write that, <laughs> write that screenplay. We can, uh, <laughs> there have been some episodes, um, trying one of the hospital, one of the hospital, uh, TV Dramas. shows had a ransomware event. Oh, really? I don't, yep. I don't, I don't yep. think I'm familiar and with that. Do you shut their, I don't remember that. Do you remember what show that was? Uh, I, to go to I think it, I think it was Grey's Anatomy, actually. Oh, Te- Technician yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric quickly came up with Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy, yeah, it was Grey's Anatomy. Although okay. I think he spelled it G R A Y. He did. He spelled and it. Wrong. I believe it's G R E Y, but I have never watched the program. So. And now he's blaming he's blaming his wife for loving that show. <laughs> of course, <laughs> it's not not me, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched Grey's Anatomy for the first handful of seasons, but I, I didn't stick with it long enough to see the ransomware episode. I don't think. Yeah, on on a serious note to deal with hospitals, there actually was the first death associated with a ransomware attack in Germany uh, mm-hmm. this past mm-hmm. past year, uh, where the hospital yep. was hit by ransomware and the emergency department was sending people to yeah. uh, another hospital location that was about twenty minutes away, and a woman died that that they assume would have survived had she not had to wait the extra 20 minutes yeah we we saw that story and talked about it probably early and maybe la- well maybe it was last year. i think we talked to J- or one of our uh students about that on the show and uh yeah that was terrible and then then i saw i think the follow-up to that story greg i don't know if you saw that was that they actually kind of the once the bad guys heard that that happened they they stopped the attack and unincred- gave the keys back and and kind of walked away because they didn't actually want people to die. They're they're in it for the money, and they realized that uh, that was far worse than they intended. Yeah, a little. I would say a little too too little too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that woman but, and her family for sure. Right, right. Do we have a happier way to end the episode, guys? <laughs> well, since, yeah. since you are a fellow Big Ten, oh yeah, athletic supporter, how, how are you feeling about your Hawkeyes? Uh, feeling good. I mean, we had a great season from a football standpoint, had a great season this past year. And I would say, um, going into next season, which hopefully will be normal and we can actually go to games next year. Feeling good. You, you're a football fan, you're a basketball uh, fan. You're... Football fan. Yep. Yep. So I was, we were talking before the show and I think university of Iowa has one of the, the greatest traditions in college football and, if, if folks listening, you can you can go out and look, you know, look for a, a, a video of it on YouTube. But I think it's after the first quarter, Greg, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, everyone in the stadium, plus all of the, the players, everyone turns in the same direction and waves to the University of Iowa. I think it's the Children's Hospital that overlooks the stadium and the kids that are there receiving treatment for various conditions are in are watching the game from high above and they all wave and they and it's. It's one of the most touching moments, I think, in sports, and it really is a fantastic tradition. I think it's one of the coolest things. I have not seen it in person, but it made me want to go to an Iowa-Purdue game in Iowa just so I could kind of be it, part of that. Yeah, you need you definitely need to come and experience that in person because it is it is incredible, and it's it's you have sixty thousand fans that the entire stadium goes quiet. Mm-hmm. And everyone turns and waves to these kids, in the, and it is at the end of the first quarter. Um, so yeah, I would I would definitely recommend it to any any fan of whether it be sports or children, come and experience that firsthand. I, I do like Purdue's tradition, though. I I, I wouldn't want to give up Purdue's tradition, 
As I think we are the only Big Ten team in our tradition that knows how to beat Ohio State. <laughs> that's a pretty good one that's a pretty good one as, as little shade from a, a completely mediocre subpar football performance over the last few years but we have been really <laughs> good right. against the best team in the league well i gotta tell you that the iowa basketball team is is tough this year right so they probably have the one of the likely you know uh you know maybe the player of the year in the country in luca garza uh you know top five team most yeah, of the year they're looking tough yeah, and I'm I'm not a huge basketball fan, but that has been fun to watch. Yeah, well, we're we're Indiana, so Indiana boys, so basketball is in our blood for sure, uh, and we're excited that you know the NCAA. Bobby Knight. Well, yeah, <laughs> not so much that guy. Although, yeah. was, <laughs> oh, you don't yet, want me to bring that up? <laughs> well, I think it was the the chair the chair tossing incident was uh, anniversary was yesterday or the day before, right, Mike? Did you see that? Uh, I don't know. So years that ago, is, that is definitely something that I re- remember from my childhood. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting thing. And, and uh, so the Purdue surplus store, shout out to none of our listeners from the Purdue, uh, surplus store. Cause I doubt any of, any of those folks are listening, but if they are, they have a great thing every year on the anniversary of Bobby Knight throwing a chair, they sell all our surplus chairs at 50% off. <laughs> nice nice it's kind of a great thing all right so final question Absolutely. which favorite movie what's your favorite uh, actually cyber that, movie? that anniversary is today is it today okay thanks mike my favorite cyber movie's got it gotta be the matrix so i love the matrix the first one and i really like the second one and then the third one is still pretty good i love the trilogy i i because uh, yeah, that was a special film. I love actually The Matrix and Keanu Reeves is great and everything. I'm a fanboy of Keanu Reeves for sure. So are are you anxious for the fourth one? Well, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I I think they should stop at the uh, <laughs> stop at the trilogy. Like, I feel like that was <laughs> enough. But why not? Do have, Do you have a uh, do you Mike? Do you know of a, a kind of a, a a plot for that fourth one yet? I haven't seen it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't either. I, I can't even imagine what it would be. I don't know. Maybe they're having the uh the artificial intelligence and the humans form a bond and go after some other third party <laughs> villain that I can't even think of at this moment. That that sounds like as bad as it possibly could be. <laughs> well, Greg, thanks for joining. It's it's good to connect with you. It's good to talk to you. I think uh, your your crypto stopper uh, product sounds very interesting and intriguing. Can you tell our listeners if they want to learn more, how, how would they get a hold of you and what should they do? Yeah, so getcryptostopper.com um, and people, listeners could email me directly to at gedwards at getcryptostopper.com. All right. Well, thanks for that and uh, enjoyed the conversation today. We look forward to connecting again in the future. And maybe if we get to uh, an Iowa-Purdue game in Iowa, Mike and I will come visit visit you guys over at Crypto Stopper. Absolutely. Reach out. Let me know. Okay. All we right. Will. Th- thank you, guys. Thanks for having thanks. me on. And thanks to all our, yeah, thanks to all thank our listeners for uh, tuning in. You can reach us at cybertappodcast at purdue.edu. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.